Welcome to the Churchmount Sheepdogs podcast. In this series, I interview handlers and experts from Ireland and indeed from all over the world. And the aim of the series is to spark new ideas for training and trialing for the listener as a result of these conversations. The series is in part sponsored by Away With Dogs, a new sheepdog trial YouTube series. And you can find out more on awaywithdogs.co.uk. In 2002, when the first world trial was on, I remember thinking at the time, you know, it's a nice idea and all, but like, who's going to be able to compete with the home nations? The home nations have been sheepdog trialing for 100 years, you know, it's going to be kind of a home run. But um, as we know, Aladon won it and Jim Cropper was second. But Serge van der Sweep from Holland was third with his dog Roy. And, uh, you know, I remember that being a bit of a wake up call. I was thinking, how did he pull that off? And, uh, and then just to show that there was no accident, like after it's about 16 years of world trials now, and, and Serge seems to be in the shake-up every time. I, I think he's been third three times, and he's been runner-up. And uh, like there, last year, for example, Serge was third with his dog Gary, and he was seventh with his bitch Jenny. He had two of them in the final. So it's no sort of accident or luck that he keeps turning up. And um, <clears throat> I let better eat some humble pie and and have a chat with Serge and see if I could uh, see if I could learn something. So we recorded our, our conversation and uh, and sure you could have listened to it now too. See if you can pick up anything. And so here it is, Serge. I always wondered, like, and I've asked you this before, the fact that you live in Holland and you grew up in Holland. How the hell did you ever get into sheepdog trialing? Like, it, 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 it's 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 our sort of you know it's a real home nations in Ireland sort of thing. How did somebody in Holland yeah. ever get started in that? Uh, just a coincidence, more or less. I was always been very interested in training dogs in whatever way, uh, just basic things, uh, nothing to do with sheepdogs. But uh, we had a, a an English lady living next door. She had border collies and. She gave me a book once, Eric Halsall's uh, My Faithful Friend, and that got me going. I was only like 10 years old, wasn't it? But that really got me interested, and I was trying to get my own field and sheep at that time, which was difficult enough, but uh, I got uh, a few ducks, Indian runner ducks, and I, I could uh, use a few sheep from uh, a local guy, and uh, that's what we got started. Which was difficult enough, really, because we didn't have any videos, or we didn't have anything to... Uh, to see how it should be done, you know what I mean? I just had a book, so uh, just me and my father uh, on one side of the sheep page and then calling the dog towards us and that kind of thing, uh, which was quite funny, really, if you think back about it. But, <laughs> when, yeah, when, yeah. When, when, uh, when I was growing up, my, in, my idea of Holland was that, that you took ground back from the sea and used every square inch. And so when I went over to see you in 1999, I think it was, or 98, I remember, yeah. I remember thinking... Jesus, they've got a lot of space over here. And then you had a you, you had a good few sheep that time, and you had lovely places yeah. lovely places for training and all. And I remember being sort of amazed. I was thinking, oh, I didn't know they had this much room in Holland. Yeah. But, but uh, so that was nice to see. And when you so so you started with the book, and it's funny I started with the book too. That that's yeah. you know, by, by accident the same way. But how did you take it from there? Because I always think of you spending a lot of time in Wales with some old boys and that over there. Yeah. Well, well, well uh, we had a, a very basic Dutch little book, uh, which said on the first chapter was 12 o'clock position and, and teaching a dog left and right. And uh, just in four or five sentences per, per, per chapter, 
but that uh, and then walk with the dog uh, together driving and just divide two groups of sheep and call the dog in for shedding and that was very very basic but it's really if you are a bit creative and think about things uh, how can i get this done then uh, it uh, it helped me a lot just to get a few basic things and then in i think it was in 88 we went to the english national that was the first time over for me and then i saw uh, saw the the real thing uh, big national course and, and dogs listening on big distance. I've never seen that in my life before, but it really motivated me to to to, uh, to do the same when I came home. And, and since then, I've I, uh, gone to Wales, to Jim Jones in Lantaria, and uh, close to Alvinswood a lot, like like almost every month. And uh, he really helped me a lot, and uh, I owe him a lot, I must say. And he really taught me everything about sheep and, and, and how to to look at the dog properly, what details you had to look for and the things. And that. So uh, it was a long process altogether. But, uh, and, and so that time, that time we, we didn't have the, the nice transport like we have now where we put a passport on our dogs and we can go where we like. At that time, yeah. what did you do? Like you must have bought dogs from Wales and all, but obviously you didn't get to go back and compete with them or anything in Wales. Yeah, no, not really. I, I, I bought pups uh, more than anything else. I got my Lynn bitch from there, from Jim, Jim as well. But it was more like watching other people and then go home and practice the same thing, which I still like to do. You don't need to bring your own dog, I think, to to learn and to to get some motivation and, and to uh, like working on flanks and things. And uh, if you see other people doing it, you can go home and. and try to repeat to yourself then. Yes, yes. Yeah. I've heard a couple of top handlers saying the same thing there. Um, I often hear Burchill talking about he saw, um, I forget who it was he, he saw, but he saw him do, a fellow doing a lovely turn back and he went home for the next year and he practiced it till he got it right. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't need to have your dog with you on that time really. Eh? Yeah. Uh, and, and so <laughs> as you were starting to develop then with Jim and Jim helping you and all, like, you must have sort of gravitated towards certain handlers, or certain fellows must have stood out to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in those days, uh, uh, of course, uh, Green Jones from Machno, uh, Alan Jones, uh, uh, they had a different style than most of the other people. Uh, the dogs were always in contact, always on the move. Uh, they didn't do stop and go. They just let them flow with the sheep and. I thought that was beautiful to watch. Uh, there was a brace man called William Jones Brechva. He did the same. He had two dogs doing that, really, in a flow with sheep. And I thought that was, that was the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. And that's something that I that stuck in my mind forever. And that's really is my way of doing it now as well. I just uh, try to do the, the same thing. Yes. But, uh, yeah, it's just different. A lot of people do stop and go. It's probably an easier way and a safer way. It, uh, it, uh, it takes longer to get a dog to flow with sheep, but I think it's more effective on the long run if you can do that. That he really gets in contact with sheep and stays in that contact point if, uh, all the time. If, if a fella could break out a dog properly, that he could flow and all. What like flow? Obviously, it's a lot more attractive to watch and all. But yeah. what sort of a, what's the advantage of having a, a dog working on a flow? I think uh, the sheep get. Uh, you get better control on sheep, I think. They start to accept the dog. Uh, if you just got the right uh, push on sheep, you don't scare them. And, and on the other hand, they don't lose respect for the dog either. But if you do stop and go, the sheep get a push, and then there's no no push at all. 
and then there's a push and they get very uh, um, well some ships start to fight then and some ships start to break away if you do that but I think if you stay with them all the time they kind of give up the fight and they just do what you want them to do is it a bit is it a bit like if if a handler is working on a flaw and say he's coming up to the drive hurl he has a sort of a glue on the sheep there and and he has he, he has a kind of a control on him whereas if you stop and go it's a little bit like right you stop the dog and it's a bit like you close your eyes for a second you lose the contact yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, and maybe they do something funny in front of a hurdle or something is that the difference like, yeah 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 i think uh, I, I try to describe it more like get hold of the sheep and just bring them where you want to bring them and don't follow them or don't let them make the decisions you you get hold of them and you and you stay in that contact all the time you stay in that control yes. and every time you stop them you you, you, stop, you stop the dog then then they start to um uh to do unexpected things more or less oh, I, if, I you, if you the, stop those <laughs> i get the idea when when you when a handler has that that uh flow on he's making the decision for the sheep and when he stops he let the sheep decide a little bit then let them decide yeah 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 uh, of course, uh, sometimes you have to stop a dog. Sometimes, but I always, my goal is always uh, uh, that you stay in that flow. That you really, from the first second, don't stop them in the top of the field, but just let them slow down on the outer end, and then let them slowly get into this list and try to get hold of sheep, and then you dictate the speed and the direction, and not not the sheep. And I've heard fellas say that, you know, some dogs they're able to work on a flow, and some dogs aren't. Like when when you. When you like, you have an awful choice. Of, an awful lot of dogs go through your place, and so you've seen like you've seen all kinds of dogs at this stage. But if you were starting to choose a dog for yourself, there, a dog starts to catch your eyes. What kind of things? What kind of qualities is it that you want in a young dog? Uh, to get a flow, you need a dog with a good pace, and that's there's not a lot of dogs these days. I, I, and I, says, I say these days because I think it's a fashion thing. We stop. Well, we stopped, uh, in general, people stopped breeding for those, for pace. But uh, if you talk about people like Alan Jones and, and, and Quinto Magno, and they were, they always had this pace in their dogs. And I think that's one of the main things I look for first, that I have a dog with a natural pace. And I found it harder to find them now, uh, because there's just not so many about anymore that, uh, that breed for that. But uh, pace is very important. And with the pace, you need uh, three open flanks, I think. Because if the dog is sticky or tight, that that destroys your flow. So you need a free open open flank, and I think you need a really good stop. Uh, dog that always stops easy and properly, and and walks on when you tell it to walk on. And if I don't want to see any stickiness in dogs, I don't like that. It, it, it destroys your flow again. Uh, if you have something in your mind and your dog is hesitating all the time, it doesn't doesn't work. Then. So uh, in, in basics, it's a good stop, good flanks, and a nice free pace. And the dog wants to, that wants to lean into sheep is important for us, not just to follow and let himself hold back, we, uh, and that you have to tell him to walk on again, if you know what I mean. Yes. Uh, we need a dog that you have to steady a bit, so you can release the brake sometimes and let him be a bit stronger on sheep. Yes. That's very important for us here on the continent. We, we have probably... Uh, different variety of sheep uh, from very light to, to really heavy and stubborn and sheep that just want to graze and they need to feel the dog all the time they need to feel the pressure so you have to be able to tell a dog to push sheep and push sheep all around the course Yes. and if a dog wants to uh, hold himself back all the time uh, sheep find that out really quickly so, yeah. so 
those things are really important for me in the selection. And, and uh, you say you got an awful lot of choice, but I think selection is the key word as well. Uh, that you really look for that one really good dog, and especially the the, the the way the level is now. Um, like 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you could win a trial with uh, 20 lost points or 25 lost points, and now if you lose more than five, six, seven, eight points, you're not going to win the trial anymore. Yes. I think the standard has gone up, and there's no room for fault in dogs anymore, really. For maybe not not so much just a new handler, but for a, you know a good handler, an open handler. Have you like you see them all the time? Have you any advice that you that you'd suggest maybe for you know for I don't know maybe somebody like me who's you know been around a bit but you know is making a few obvious mistakes or could certainly tighten up a few things? What what, yeah. what do you say to people like that if they ask you for? It? Uh, I do a lot of clinics and the main th- <laughs> thing in clinics that people always want to do big distance work and train on loopbacks and train on big international sheds and things like that. But we always end up doing basic things first. Because whatever you do, uh, whatever you want to train, you need good flanks, a good stop, and a good walk on. And just those four basic commands, they need to be really, really good uh, all the time. If, if you don't have good flanks or a good stop, you can't make a good shed. If you don't have a good stop on your dog, you can't make a good, uh, good redirection in the outrun. And, and uh, that kind of thing. It always comes back to training basics. And I think that's really the key, and uh, that's what I would advise uh, everybody. Just go back to the training field and, like, on a half half an acre field, uh, what is that, two acres with you, uh, just a small place, and and just practice on those four basic commands. But you can do them in all directions, that you can flank the dog in all directions, stop them everywhere you want, and every walk-on should be just nice and steady and uh, I think that's very important, and people forget about that. It's so tempting to go to big places and train big outruns. It's, it's nice to do, but you always lose a bit of your basic commands and if you do that. Yes. And, uh, and uh, of course, you have to train distance too sometimes, but, but I think uh, 90% should be in, in uh, just uh, one hectare field. And, and, and run after them, make sure that every command is, is, is good. Which takes a lot of discipline. It's easy to say, and, and but to go out there every day and just do basic training, it's kind of boring. But it's very, very important, I think, to, to do that, to keep the basics right. Yes. That they all, always listen. And, and you can't do that on big distance. But that's, that's funny that in every clinic, always everybody wants to do something <laughs> on big distance, but we always, within five or ten minutes, we are back in a small place in a corner of the field, just getting the basics right first and then before you know it the two days are over in the clinic and we did nothing else than train on basics yeah yeah it, but it's funny, yeah. funny Serge I'm, I'm squirming a bit here getting a bit uncomfortable I'm one of them people that uh, <laughs> let me get in a big place and double fetches and big stuff big stuff yeah yeah and, uh, and well, you, you, you know that there everything I have is a little bit loose like. but um, <laughs> there's another thing now that, that uh, I was talking to Eric Holmgaard earlier this year and as we know, he was in the world final. And as we know, you came third in, in that world trial. But the, the, the one thing, and, and I asked him, and I have to ask you, is with those really big events, Serge, and it's kind of getting away from the point a little bit, but with those really big events, 
when you were in the final with Gary and Jenny and like what do you be thinking of on the Saturday night before the final or maybe I, I can't remember what <laughs> night it was but the night before like you don't go home and watch yeah. television what what goes through your head uh, I always feel there's more pressure before coming to the final for some reason it's, uh, I was um, that's when uh, when I, I get more nervous but if it, uh, and of course just before I go on the field in, in the final but I try to uh, keep things as normal as possible. I think that's the main thing. So the best thing is to do watch television and relax and uh, and then try to sleep well and uh, uh, yeah, just uh, and, and and of course I'm thinking about the course and uh, how you should handle those sheep and uh, what would be a good idea to, to do here or to do there. But. Uh, yeah, it's, and, it's, and say on the morning there now and and before you went out to run, Jenny. What what kind of stuff is going through your head, or when you go to the stake? I don't know. Maybe like I'm, I'm probably wondering how should we prepare for something like that, or if I'm going out in, uh, in a big event and and you know there's a bit at stake, uh, like you're going out and there's a lot at stake there. What what do you think about, or do you, can you switch your head off? Or uh, what I try to do is to uh, try to imagine that I'm running the course already before I go on, just uh, as if you're standing at the post. Where, how are you going to send your dog? Which direction? Uh, where will you stop it? Uh, uh, how will you lift? And I just visualize the whole thing more or less, oh, yes. as if I can see sheep. So the, I don't get surprises afterwards, you know. Yes. That uh, so I, I do my fetch, I do uh, the turn back then, and, and in my head I know where I position my dog turn, send the dog back, uh, do your second lift and fetch, and then you, you do your turn, and then you do your drive and. Uh, when uh, just to, to watch how the how the cross size looks like when you're actually doing it, and then uh, and then come back. What would be my position in the shedding ring, and how shall I enter the shedding ring, and when, and and then uh, in which direction shall I try to shed off the uncolored sheep, and that kind of thing, and just try to do the whole thing in my head. But it just it probably takes just one minute in my head. You know what I mean? It's just a quick. You go through it really quick, but. I just try to avoid uh, surprises, really. No, that, that makes a lot of sense there now. Uh, no, thanks for telling us about that, Serge. But listen, <laughs> no, no but listen I, I, I won't keep you any longer. Um, oh, no problem. I, I, and, and I appreciate all that. And uh, But I, I do want to talk to you again about... Uh, just want to get some ideas on, on breeding and things like that. So, so Serge, I'm on Facebook all the time. And I see all these lovely pedigrees of dogs and people are oohing and on about how wonderful they are. And, and maybe a pup, you know, maybe I see something there and it looks really good and it's 600 sterling. And now I'm an Irish fella, I don't pay 600 sterling for anything really. But for somebody for somebody buying a pup, like, where do you start? Or, or you know, if you want, you want, you're going to make your investment, you're going to put a lot of effort into the pup and you have expectations. What's What, what should people do? Like, how do they find one to start with? Um, uh, well, well, I've always had a great interest in breeding in different animals and 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 with sheep dogs, of course, as well. And I, and I bought all the stud books quite early, and I've always been through them. And then you see a lot of famous names, and then I started to realize that a lot of those dogs you don't really know, and especially when you're really in sheep dogs, you see a lot of dogs winning these days that are really not your type. And, um, and so. For me, it's very important that you actually have seen the dog and really like the dog. 
And I think for breeding it's also important what the brothers and sisters of the parents are doing. And uh, th- th- I mean, the mother or the father can be just a lucky one um, uh, in the litter, but th- th- that lowers your chances in breeding a lot, I think. But if you've got um, um, uh, good lines that that have a lot of good brothers and sisters and the parents are good, then, then it doesn't really matter if the, your couple uh, works like the father or the grandfather or the grandmother or to, uh, like the mother or whatever. And uh, I think that's very important. And we always keep quite a lot of dogs and young dogs and we do a lot of selection, but I only want to breed with the ones, with the, the bitches that I really, really like. And... Uh, I have a bit of a role here uh, when Gary breeds and I want to take a service pup. I only take pups of bitches that are fully trained and impress me. And uh, you see a lot of young dogs doing a bit of 12 o'clock position and looking nice, but that's not a good one yet. They look nice for their age, but uh, well, you know yourself, a lot of dogs are not going to make, they're going to all the stages really. Eh? As soon as you start to demand more or put more pressure or, you find out that they don't want to drive or they, they grip under uh, stressy circumstances and things like that. You only find it out later when they're fully trained. And if they're fully trained and you still like them, you still think they're good. Those are the ones I, I want to keep up from. Yes. And, yes. Uh, and not from anything else, really. And that's what I found out over the years. And I can see it with Gary, too. Uh, of course, Gary breeds a lot, so... It's easier to draw some conclusions there, but I really can see that the majority of the really good ones are always from really good bitches, though. Um, and, and not from just mediocre bitches or, or bitches that have good pedigrees but are not good themselves. And it really makes a difference, I think. Yeah, because uh, 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 breeding is a sort of a funny one. There's, uh, you know, it's easy to find a good handler or somebody you want to model or whatever and you know you can see the fellows who are who are able to do or, or have what you like but with breeding I don't really know anybody I, you know I can't find an expert to go and ask anything about but you're you're the one fellow I think of because like you, you started like the rest of us too uh, you know when I got good dogs years ago you know I bought a young dog that I was attracted to I didn't I didn't breed him like and, uh, and, and I know so you started off that way too but now your thing has evolved now where you're breeding a lot of pups and like you said there are a lot of people bring bitches and you get service pups and you're getting a lot of feedback um, and, and and it's like because sheepdogs it's not like show breeding you know they, they can't just yeah. look nice and it's like you yeah, said yeah, it's, it's interesting what you say about the bitches you know I see fellas here and they say oh the, that fella has a really good dog but you see the dog then you realise he's not really broken out and you know, so the, you, you haven't took a lot out of the dog. You don't really know. No, so you, so you don't really know what you got. Yeah, yeah. They look nice in that stage, yeah, but that doesn't make them really good dogs. Yeah. And then, then the, uh, other, the other thing I see on Facebook is is you come along and you've got a really nice pedigree, and everybody's patting you on the back, and and the ears stick up, and it's a smooth coat, and, yeah, and they go, yeah. oh, it looks so nice. I I see comments, and they go, oh God, it's beautiful, and I'm thinking, yeah, but what's between its ears? The beauty is the beauty yeah, does yeah. in this job, like. And, uh, and that's what, uh, what's a fashion thing as well. Uh, at the moment, everybody looks for prick ears and stylish and fast and sharp. And as long as a bitch does that, doesn't even matter if she's trained or not. So, so if she does that, people want pups of her. <laughs> and when I, uh, I, I, I've got a feeling there's less uh, real breeders now 
than they used to be. Like uh, when I started to go to Britain, as I said, in 88, uh, I started to go there. There was a lot of people with real breeding philosophy and stick to their, like like uh, Glyn Jones, Bosvary was one of them. He almost created his own breed there. But being very selective and, and very strong on what he would breed from and what he would keep stuff from and out of which bits he would breed. And, and he was very, very selective and very disciplined in that. And, and, uh, and there was a lot of people like that, like him in that time. But I don't think that's, uh, and that's probably because money came in more and clubs are worth more. So people uh, have a bit they don't like, but they want to breed it first before they sell it to get some money back out of her. And that's not the way to go, of course. Eh? Yeah, I, I hear it. It lowers your, that, your yeah, qualities. Eh? Yeah, those things that you mentioned there, I, I see or hear a lot of that kind of stuff. And But there's a, there's a thing I never hear about with breeding. And you mentioned there's discipline, like... Uh, you know, and, and and selection and discipline. You know, there are two words I don't yeah. hear from many people. But like you started yeah. off by buying your dogs, and how did it evolve into? Well, I suppose they probably got more expensive, and you like to breed your own. But when when you breed now, can you kind of know what you're going to get, Serge? Like I always think when I sorry, and I'm probably talking a bit too much, but. I, I, when I think of stud dogs, a fellow said to me at the international this year, he said, he said, if you have a good bitch, where would you go? And I said, well, I can think of a two dogs. And he said, I can think of two dogs too. And he said, I can't think of any. No, no, the others come to mind readily. But, you know, yeah. one of them was Gary and, and the, the the other one was Hutchinson Sweep. Like, And that's just yeah. an opinion. But to me, it, Gary seems to, he can kind of, he's really getting a type and, and he seems to be breeding consistently. But... Uh, is it possible there? Can you kind of know what you're getting? Can you, can you, I don't know, can you, can you read what you want, Serge? Uh, no, no, definitely not. But the, the chances are higher when you really put a type to a type, I think. If you, if you, if, if, if I would breed Gary to something, uh, to a bitch that really works like Gary and, and, uh, uh, has the same character as Gary and the same, same qualities as Gary, I think your chances are higher then. But saying that, I, I bred Gary to my loss, and uh, Lass was a very good breeder. Lass won the Continental uh, years ago, and, and uh, I bred it to Gary, and I thought, well, this is one of the best combinations I've done for a long time, and, and that was probably my worst litter <laughs> that yeah. I ever bred. And yeah. that shows you as well that you don't know it really. Yes. But what, I, what I've always done is uh, I always bought the catalogs from the nationals and I always studied them and then you see that there's a lot of dogs from uh, uh, out of the same breeding line uh, going to, to the final or making the team or or when you look at all those dogs and you you you, um, uh, you start to find out that like hey there's another one I like and that's again from the same breeding line that's a line I like and um, years ago there was Butcher's Mac and there was John Thomas's Don they had like 10% of the national was out of them directly yes. and indirectly, like grandchildren. There was a lot more even. And they had a big influence and because they were good breeders, I think. And there's a lot of dogs. They don't, they are good dogs, but they don't breed consistently. And if you can find those dogs that breed well or bitches that breed well, Heaven Jones had a bitch called Mac and in the nineties, uh, there were five out of 10 nationals were won by, uh, well, two by Mac, two by Mac's daughters, and one by uh, Grim had a dog called Tuff, which was a granddaughter of Mac again. And Medwin Evans had a dog called Lev, so that's six yes. out of the same breeding line in 10 years' time. And that shows you that that line is is breeding well at that moment. Eh? Yeah. So I tried to get touch of that line 
then and uh, I go to the breeders and, and I try to get pups directly out of their best pitches and uh, out of their best dogs. And uh, yeah, so when, when you start to see commonalities like that, uh, that's one of the things that attracts you. And then, so how far back do you look then? If if you look at a dog's breeding and all, like how many generations do you consider, like grandparents, or or you go back further, or is it is it just the commonalities that kind of steer you, or what? Well, it's 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 going back to what I said before: that you really have to see the dogs and don't look only on paper. And that's what too many people do. Because that dog is breeding well, or that dog is winning a lot, they want pups out of it. But it maybe not, it's not your type, eh? And when you, uh, maybe you are not the same type of handler as the, those people are. And that makes a big difference. You have to go in the type that suits you and that you like, and be very strict on that. I think. But uh, um, I, I go through the pedigrees as well, but just one or two generations, really. But. Uh, for example, to get how I got Gary is uh, I really liked McFigure Spot, and I liked uh, McFigure Spot's breeding. Uh, 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 Bobby the Elf, Jim, and uh, the father of, of uh, uh, those dogs was uh, Eden Gallagher's Bill. Uh, I really liked that dog, and that's how I got um, uh, Gwen, the Gary's mother, yes. the daughter of Eden Gallagher. I really liked her. And what I've seen, but I also liked her lines and, and, and her, her full brother, McFigure uh, Spot, and uh, was more from the same line. My Eve was of the same line as well, and my Jim was of the same. And they were all from the same father, and, and uh, so that really, that was a very good bitch for me. And then I found a dog to uh, Nigel Watkins came to me once with a dog called Spot, bred by Hugh Francis in North Wales. And uh, he said, this is the most spectacular dog you've ever seen. And I went to see him, and I really, really liked the dog. And he was totally different lines than Gary's mother. He was uh, going back to that buddy Ben, your your line. Um, um, you had both Buddy and uh, the brother, what was he yeah, called? Skippy, uh, Skippy. Skippy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, to that type of dog. Uh, strong dogs, uh, quite tough and, and determined and... Not the easiest, but this this dog, Gary's father, was a real classy dog with beautiful natural outrun in him and very good pace. And the mother had a very good pace as well and very good outruns and flanks. And the mother was an easier listener than Gary's father was, but together they, they bred Gary. But that was really breeding a type to a type. And, uh, and that produced Gary. And I think uh, Gary's mother is, is a real strong producer with different dogs. Yes, and, yes. And that's something that's in the line as well. Some lines they have, they reproduce themselves very well, and other ones they don't. Well, it's, it's funny yeah. now that you say that that your old Glen dog was at a, a bitch of John Heffernan's and Norman Deacon Rye. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. That, and that bitch seems to be able to throw good dogs to nearly any dog. Yeah. Yeah, and that shows you again. That's, that's, I mean, Gary is from this really good bitch. Uh, Glenn was out of that really good bitch, and and that's how I got my uh, Roy in the time as well. I really was a great fan of Medwin Evans' lab, and that was of a litter of eleven. Yes. And I think seven or eight or nine of them made open trials out of out of one litter, which is very unusual, of course. And and he was out of Heaven Jones's old line again, and then. Uh, I got to, I found a, a bitch from that litter, Paul Robert Ross, and I asked him, I said, uh, if you ever breed of that one, can you let me know? And that's, uh, he bred it to John Griffith's tweet, and, and John Griffith had a very strong type. He was very selective in his breeding, and he always had 
the same type of dogs and the same type of bitches and always produce his own dogs and a real a real um, breed within a breed, if you know what I mean. Eh? Yeah. And uh, and I, that's I asked him if you ever have a pup, and then that's how I got my oil in the time. And it's uh, always from good bitch lines as well, and from good breeding lines, and, and that's why those dogs were able to reproduce themselves as well because they were not just luckies. Uh, they were not just uh, the one, the only one in the litter doing well. Eh? Yeah, well, it, it's funny. Um, I, I, I'm nearly allergic to kind of brand names, and and uh, uh, maybe I'm probably a bit of a bit of an old contrary mind or something. But uh, uh, I, I'm sort of allergic to them. But it, it's kind of ironic because <laughs> me, me two dogs for the last couple of years have been a, a, a Gary and a, a Hutchinson Sweep, and I'm very happy yeah, with yeah. them. But uh, yeah. I, I, I'd like to try and find some unknown dog there that nobody knows there and take him out. Maybe yeah. maybe a, a hairy one with his ears down and a blue eye. <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, a new fashion. <laughs> but some somebody told me, sirs, that you could uh, just look at a litter and you'd be able to. I often hear this story. You could look at a litter and just pick the pup that was going to be the hero. Uh, what what do you say about that? Because I hear that. I hear it here too. Toddy Lamb told me a very funny story about a a, a man who bred a litter of pups and he invited a fellow up to to pick a pup and your mum was saying say he, pick, he called Jim to come up and pick a pup and Jim was saying she don't want a pup and he said oh no you have to come up and pick one and you can have any pup there's seven on it and so Jim went up to pick the pup and he said yeah I'll take that lad there with the white hair and uh, the farmer said actually no you can't have that one I'm keeping that one for myself and <laughs> and, and Jim said oh, you thought she said I could have anyone well you can have anyone except that one but Toddy <laughs> told me after that that the guy thought that Jim knew which the best one would be. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, I got him up to pick, to pick. But you, you don't need yeah. an interesting story about a fellow who thought you could pick the best pup and, and you had two for sale. Can you tell me that story? Yeah. Well, yeah, that was Gary, actually. It was, uh, it was, uh, uh, I, I, I wasn't going to keep Gary from the litter. There was a litter of five and there was only two dogs and I really wanted a dog from that litter. And was, uh, the other dog had a, a nicer hat on him on that stage. Gary had a quite kind of a small hat, a bit of a female hat on him. And I just was more attracted to the other dog. And there was a, uh, there was a new guy in the sport who wanted a dog from this litter. And I said, oh, you can have that one, Gary. And he said, no, I don't want that one. I want the other one. And uh, this guy went on holiday first and he said, I'll be back. And they were eight weeks old, but he was going to, to be on holiday for a month or something. And he said, I'll come back at 12 weeks and see if the one I want is still available or not. And that's when I started to try them on sheep. And Gary was from the first second he saw sheep. He had style and he had his tail down, but he was also showing natural instinctive reactions. Like when sheep broke on the fence, he opened out straight away to get the sheep back. Instead of going for the ewe, going straight after her, he opened out. And he was only like eight, nine, ten weeks when he started doing that. And his brother was more, a bit rougher and not as keen as Gary was. And, 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 uh, then when this guy came back, I said, well, if you still want the other one, the nicer looking one, you can have that one. And I'm going to keep Gary. But that shows you that probably at eight weeks old, you can't say much. But if you would keep a whole litter until it's probably 12 weeks old and spend a lot of time on them, of course, it's not a hundred percent guarantee, but you, you do see a lot more then. And uh, if you talk about basic instinctive reactions, and that's, that's an thing that's important for me, but I see that a lot of different handlers look for different qualities. But uh, I like a natural dog that with balance and feel and natural flanks and natural outer. And, and I think those things you can see. 
And if you, but if you don't look for those things, uh, you probably have more difficult. You can't see power or things like that. I don't believe that. But, but, uh, uh, but you do see some instinctive reactions that will never disappear again. And that's what I saw in Gary on that time. But, uh, I, I found it very hard to, um, to make a decision earlier than, than, uh, uh, 12, 13, 14 weeks. But the only thing is that when you sell pubs to people, always want them early. They don't want to wait that long. Yes. So it's, 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 it's a little, it's difficult to organize. But, uh, we're expecting a nice litter now. And what we just decided is just to keep them all now for the moment. Yes. And then uh, start selecting later. But, uh, that's probably the best thing to do. Just be, because I, I don't believe anybody can see it in the litter when they are five, six, seven, eight weeks. Yes. Of course, you can like one more than the other one, but nobody can say who's going to be the best. And I think with Gary that it just happened, it was also a bit of luck, you know what I mean? Because I tried it many times afterwards, and then it didn't work out. And I remember having a litter of ten, and I was keeping five, and I really went through them all to make my choices. And funny enough, the best two were not in my five. They were in the, in the five I sold. And uh, they ended up being the best ones in the litter. So yes. and that was uh, that was out of Gary's mother again, yes. by, but by a different father. But it just shows you that it, that it really doesn't work. You need a lot of luck as well. And, and you need a lot of luck. And when you make a decision, those terms, is it just like uh, your personality? Do you, do you tend to go with how a thing feels, or do you just go by discipline and, and rules? Or uh, no, not 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 in a litter. Well, of course, to breed, I, I, I have a lot of rules for myself, like. Uh, what I said before that you really want a really good bitch that you really like and that's fully trained and, and, and is looking good in all elements in the training and and, and then uh, but to pick a pup uh, I just pick the one I like most and I can't explain why but it's just something that you you always pull to, to the same one and that's the, the one you, you look at first and that's the one you always take out first yeah. but that's important as well that you like like a dog, isn't it? If you don't like it to start, it's going to be a difficult relationship, I think. Yes. But, uh, yeah. And so, it won't be long now till the next world trial, and unfortunately, Gary, I'm sure, will be out of commission for that one. Uh, yeah. Have you got new guns coming up for that, or uh, you still have Jenny, of course? I got Jenny, and I got uh, Mac that I got from uh, Edwin Evans, that was a uh, Welsh national champion. And, yes. uh, I like him a lot, and he is my type of dog again. And and uh, I got two sons of Gary here that are a little bit young to say how good they're going to be, and I never run them yet. So, And that's another thing that dogs can look really good until you start running them, and then you find out <laughs> some faults that you haven't seen at home uh, before. But... Um, those are the ones, my main ones at the moment, really. Yes, yes. Yeah. That, that sounds fairly strong. The 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 other thing I just, with the whole breeding thing, and we talk about types and we talk about things we're looking for, I, I have a thing in my head that 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 the men are nearly types as well, that, they, that, that they're always attracted to the same kind of dog and that you can nearly associate a type with a fella. Do, do, do you think that's true or do fellas change, you know, over the years and, and their type change too? I think we all change, uh, probably with experience as well. Uh, as soon as you had one like that, uh, like a certain type, then you see what you really like and, or what you don't like, and then you probably never want to have that type again, or you do want to have that same type again. But I always feel you have to own one first before you really know it. Yes. You always look good with other people, and 
you hear a lot of people saying like I want a hard dog and I want this and I want power and uh, but until you own one you don't really know what you're looking for and I think I was lucky there very early in my career that I, uh, I had my bitch Lynn which was a real top quality bitch and she really came early but it made it very difficult for me to find to keep that standard afterwards to find the, the same quality again and and then I had to learn to to that there's not a second Lynn in the world. You have to <laughs> keep it open-minded too. Uh, and in the beginning, I was selling good dogs because they were not not like Lynn and they were not the same type. But you just can't find a second Lynn. And now I look more for general things like good flanks and free flanks and and and, and a free approach to sheep, uh, balance and feel for sheep. Uh, power we need here and, and uh, good listeners and natural outrunners is a big thing for me uh, dogs with a good top in the outrun natural yes and uh, those picture also are always on big distances and if they don't have natural tops you can't do nothing about them I yes. Think. yes and that's where, you, where your trial is made as well mm-hmm. and for us it's important we have a sheep farm that my best dogs have to do all my sheep work as well on the farm if they can't do that, I don't feel confident enough to go to big trials with them. So they have to be multifunctional with us here and do everything. Yeah, and then of course when you're doing the farm work and all, you have a much better, much better knowledge of your dog, and your dog is a nice, yeah, well-rounded dog. Like. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Eric Holmgard said that, that something similar there now too when he was talking about keeping your thinking flexible and keeping your approach flexible, uh, yeah. like or elastic. I think was the word we used, but. Uh, like you said, there's not a second Lynn in the world, and I, I do think some fellas get one dog or that, and they kind of get a bit stuck on looking for another one. The same yeah, as them, yeah, uh, yeah. and, and so maybe there's a better one around the corner if they stayed a little bit flexible. Yeah. Like, but um, yeah. listen, thanks for and, all and that. The, probably the, uh, the main the main thing before you go is I think you need quantity first before you get quality, or you need a lot of luck to get one pup, and that's going to be the one. But I think you need to go through a lot of dogs and be very selective and and. If you don't have a good feeling about it, don't wait for it. Sell it and 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 and, and go for the next one that you that you do like better, and and that's probably the only way to get that one really really good one. Uh, selection, selection is the, the key word there, and and uh, and and keep going at it. Not as soon as you got one that you think like I can lay back for five years now because you can't. The times go quick, and and it's very hard to find your next good one. And, you have to keep going at it all the time. Uh, yeah, that's that, that, that's something yeah. that impresses me with with you there is that you're able to keep coming up with them. Uh, there was a, a young fellow there, and, and I was giving a bit of hand there, and, and his father with with dogs there. They're starting out, but he has they bred a bitch, uh, well bred bitch to to my my dog, and um, they'd only three pups out of it. But the 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 young guy kept a, a bitch out of it, and she's about seven months old now, but. Uh, we looked at her. She's working all the, for a while there, but we looked at her the other day, and I really didn't like her. And I didn't want to say it to him, but I said it to his father. I said, "I don't think that one's not good enough." And what does the the, the your son think? And the son is Lee, and he said, "No, Lee said she's gone." And I was thinking, oh, I like the sound of this young fella there. He like it'd be very easy for a fella thirteen to get attached to the pup, but I think he, 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 he you know. I think that is a thing there that you know, like you said, if it's not right or you don't like it or you out the door and you know to somebody else who might be able to make use of it and and don't yeah. be limiting yourself like. Yeah, I hear too often that I hope he's going to to be better and I hope he will improve. But if I think back about my best ones, I always kind of had a really good feeling about them 
right from as soon as I started training them, they had something special. And like Jenny and Gary and and Mate and and my young dog Rob now, they've always been special. And uh, they've never been for sale, not even for for a minute. And and all the other ones that you are hoping, and uh, he's not very nice now, but he but he might come back uh, later. In my experience, you always end up selling them in the end of the day. And it's uh, it's uh, it's being selective is very very important in this game. I think that you don't fool yourself. You know already that it's not going to be the one. Huh? Well, and as soon uh, as you uh, keep hoping it. Not going in the right direction. No. And and if it's somebody who wants to compete and wants to get ahead a little bit, I think you have to have a bit of respect for yourself too, because like we said there, the, the leg timer, the time is slipping by there the whole time, and uh, like you're holding yourself back with one that just isn't good enough. You need to bite the bullet. Yeah. Yeah. Bite the bullet or, or don't stay not being good enough yeah. if you want. Yeah. To. yeah. Waste you waste a lot of time there, and you're not open for anything new then because you're busy with this one. Yeah. And you're. And, and in the back of your head, you already know it's not going to make it. Yeah. And, um, there's some basic elements that need to be right. There's a lot of things you can train. But in, in, in my way of thinking, there's a lot of basic things that need to be right. And if they're not there, you can train whatever you like. But you won't get them right. You won't make them right. And, and like you said, with the competition nowadays, you can't be going out with 20 pints shy there and thinking you're going no, to get the true. money. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, he has bad flanks or he's not stopping properly, you might as well not go. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to do much. So. Well, listen, come here. Thanks for all that, for all no, that no, information no. and your opinion. It was very interesting. A lot of food for thought there. And um, I'll leave you alone now. I'll let you get on with it. Thanks very, Thank much, you very much. You're welcome. All the best, then. So thanks for listening. I hope this interview has sparked some new ideas for you. If you want to support Churchman and to learn more about us and how we train dogs, you can become a Patreon subscriber over at our website at churchmansheepdogs.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube at Churchman Sheepdogs.